0: Welcome, welcome. If you're visiting with us this morning, my name's Matt, I'm one of the pastors. It's good to be here with you all. And please find a Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. If you're like me, from time to time in your life you've been curious about angels. Anybody been curious about angels before? There's a lot of Information out there about angels that you can find. Not much of it comes from the Bible. <laughs> throughout the scriptures, though, we do see the angels making appearances from time to time. Uh, sometimes they bring a message. In fact, the word angel is literally just the Greek word for messenger. Uh, we see angels throughout, especially the Old Testament, interacting with humans. Sometimes we see them fighting battles, which means they're capable of interacting with the physical world, either including fighting and war, and I say maybe more commonly, protecting. Protecting. There's even hints in uh, the prophets Ezekiel and Isaiah that some of the angels followed Lucifer or Satan in a rebellion against God. And so we're kicked out of heaven? There's a strange story in Genesis about the sons of God, which is a phrase used about angelic beings, about them interbreeding with mankind. The weirdest story in the Bible. Producing something called the Nephilim. And I can always tell when a new Christian has started reading their Bible seriously, when they ask me, so what are the Nephilim? Except they usually say Nephilim, because they don't know Hebrew has an em on the end. Uh, And I'm not going to tell you what the Nephilim are this morning, I apologize. (laughs) Most of the time in the Bible, angels come and go with not much explanation. One of the very few places in the Bible that gives any information about what angels are is our passage today. But even in today's passage, we're going to see that it's not about angels. Even where it does give information about angels, the passage is not about angels. It's about Jesus. The author of Hebrews, the preacher of Hebrews, he knew his audience. He knew that his audience, like us, are very interested in angels. In fact, there's some evidence that uh, from first century extra biblical writing that indicates that the early church and and the the Jews in the first century and the Christians coming out of Judaism, they may have been a little obsessed by angels, uh, with angels, obsessed with angels. And so, uh, and even in the scriptures, we see the apostles warning Christians not to pay attention to people who insist that a lot of attention be given to angels. So if somebody is saying, "Hey, listen to what all of these angels are up to. The apostles warn you, don't pay attention to them." The Bible warns us, "Don't give much attention to angels." And in fact, it says if an angel brings a message that's contrary to the scriptures, don't listen to it. And two of our major world religions were started by somebody paying attention to a spiritual being claiming to be an angel and listening to it. And now you have Islam and Mormonism. Although the Bible never explicitly says this, uh, Hebrews chapter 2 seems to indicate that Jews and these first century Christians believed uh, that when Moses received the law from God on Mount Sinai, which we just studied last semester when we were, learning, were reading through Exodus, uh, they believed at the time, and maybe this was true, but it just says, even if it's a hypothetical here in Hebrews 2, so we don't know this for sure, they believed that the message from God was delivered to Moses by angels. So the author, because of all this obsession, because this thought that angels are really important, When the Bible doesn't seem to indicate that, the author of Hebrews, the preacher of Hebrews, needs to help pry people's attention and fascination away from angels. And so he does that by pointing out how much better Jesus, God the Son, is than angels. And this is one of a number of things that Brad outlined last week that the the preacher of Hebrews Is going to say, Jesus is better than this. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the Moses, than the Moses, than Moses. Jesus is better than the promised land. Jesus is better than all of these things. And one of the things that we're going to see in Hebrews, even with the information it does give us about angels, is that the Bible is intentionally vague about angels. Angels are never the point. The glimpses we do get of them, the glimpses of the angels that we do get are always meant to glorify God and Christ, not the angels themselves. And any angel that tries to tell you differently is selling something. The preacher who wrote Hebrews explains Jesus' superiority to the angels through a quick succession of seven Old Testament quotations, most of them from the Psalms. And we're going to see today that Jesus is superior to the angels. So here's all my main points. You can write these down and go home if all you're here for is information download. Jesus is, so I hope you're not, by the way. Jesus is superior to the angels because though angels are spirit beings, Jesus is the God. Angels are mere servants, but Jesus is the king. Angels are fiery flames, but Jesus is the judge. Angels are merely created beings, but Jesus is the creator. And that's why he's superior. Let's read Hebrews 1, and we're going to start in verse 4. So he, talking about Christ, became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, When he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels worship him. And about the angels, he says, He makes his angels' winds and his servants a fiery flame. But to the sun, your throne, God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawless. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. And in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like clothing, and you will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like clothing. But you are the same, and your years never end. And now to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Are they, speaking of the angels, not ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? A few comments here. So first we see that Jesus is superior to the angels because though angels are spirit beings, Jesus is God, where do we see that? Well, in these Old Testament quotations and throughout the scriptures, we see that this prophesied anointed one, chosen one, this prophesied Messiah is called Son of God. And this prophesied Messiah had a very interesting and unique relationship to God, his Father. So in verse 5, we see God calling Jesus his son. And in verse 7, we see God calling Jesus God. Jesus is simultaneously God and this prophesied son. And this shows us something very strange and very crucial about who God is, about God's nature, about God's um, character, about who he is, how God is, and this concept has been called the Trinity. So I want to go real quickly through the Trinity. God, we say that God is a triune God, and that word triune is a made-up word, and so if you don't know what triune is, you, don't, you haven't really ever heard it before, it just means 3-1 in a fancy way. We could say 3-1 God, the 3-1 God. You've heard Trinity because movies all come in Trinities now, right? The trilogies. The... You've heard the word Trinity before, the name of the character in the Matrix, that kind of thing. So the Trinity is really difficult to explain. <laughs> I'm going to try. It's difficult to explain because there is nothing else like it in all creation. That's why it's tricky. You have no other thing in your mind to hook into to try to understand. One of the primary ways we humans understand things is by relating the thing we don't understand to something we do understand. And that's why we get the Trinity wrong all the time because there's nothing else in the universe like the Trinity. So we have to come up with new words to explain it. And I'm just going to, real quick, there's, there's, there's been an illustration... It's not a, I'm not saying like a metaphor or, or a word picture or the Trinity is not like this, but this literal illustration, this graph was created a long time ago. Not this particular one, but the one that I'm pulling from to make this one. And it's called the shield of the Trinity and it's a logic puzzle. It's a way of explaining how you are supposed to understand what the Trinity is. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. But the Son is not the Father or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son. And the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. Easy. Makes sense. It is a little mind-bending. It's tricky. And... Here, if, this, this shield is very important because when you start thinking about what God is like, what the triune God is like, how the Son relates to the Father and to the Holy Spirit and to the Godhead, you got to get out this chart and see if the thing you are thinking fits on this chart. It's a little mind-bending, but we do see it here. It's why it's confusing that God the Father calls Jesus the Son and also God. And why Jesus can say back to the Father, You are God. It's not a contradiction. I, we do use the word, it's a mystery. But it's only mysterious, not because we're trying to be confusing, but because there is nothing else like God in the universe. So when somebody tells you, well, that doesn't make any sense, because so it can't be true, what they are saying is, I can't relate that picture to anything else that I am aware of. And you say, then you've got it. You get it. God the Father calls Jesus the Son and also God. And importantly, the Psalms that, got, that are being quoted here, the Psalms were written by the sons of Korah. They were monotheists. What does that mean? It means they believed that there was only one God. Their most important truth about God is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Worship the Lord your God, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the psalmists that believed that also spoke of this very strange relationship. You are the son, God. And that son, God, saying back to the father, you are God. They didn't see a contradiction. Hebrews 1 verse 8 quotes Psalm 45, where God speaks to his Messiah or his anointed one. Elsewhere, this anointed one is called God's son, and God calls his son God. So perhaps you've heard that nowhere in the Bible is Jesus called God. Well, it's right here, and it is also in verse 8. So in verses 7 and 8, moving on from here, in verses 7 and 8, the preacher then goes on to make the biggest contrast between Jesus and the angels. And that is that the angels are created servants, but Jesus is the reigning king. So he is God and he is king. And we get some of the most clear teaching in the entire Bible, about angels in verses 7 and in verses 14. And it's pulling from Psalms 103 and 104, and we see the angels being compared to winds and fire. So, okay, now the uh, the preacher of Hebrews is saying, all right, here I'm going to explain the angels. I'm going to go back to Psalm 104. They're winds and fire. Get it? And it's like, no, I don't. All right, cool, moving on. What does this mean? Winds and fire. Well, it means that it's, it's like they are temporary, meaning created beings. They're like winds blowing from here to there. They move around a lot, doing a lot of things for God. They're like fire. They're effective at the things God sends them out to do. God sends them out to go do things and they move from place to place and they're here and then they're not. They're powerful and they're effective, but they are mere creations serving at God's good pleasure. And here's another thing about angels. We get to see another place about angels. When John, the apostle John, he wrote the Revelation, he had a vision of an angel. So this this fiery flame, these winds, these, these things, and he had a vision of one of these angels in Revelation 19, and he was tempted to worship. This thing was magnificent. This angel was magnificent. He was tempted to worship. But we get to see here how angels feel about you being obsessed with them. Revelation 19. Then I fell at his feet, speaking of an angel, to worship him. But he said, Don't do that. (laughs) It's a good translation from the Greek. Stop it. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He's saying, I'm not the point. Jesus, God the Son, is the point. Worship him. I, what does an angel say he is? I'm just a servant, just like you. I'm a minister. That word servant is the same as the word minister, just like you. Angels, it says in Hebrews, back to Hebrews 1, verse 14, angels we see are ministering servants. That word ministering can also be worshiping. Worshiping servants. Worshiping spirits. They're not the point. Christ is. We're to worship Christ, not the angels. Christ, also we see here Jesus being the king. Christ Jesus is contrasted with the angels because the angels are blowing around like winds, going here and there at God's command, doing things while Jesus, the king, is seated on the throne, holding the scepter and ruling creation. He's not like the angels. He's higher. He's seated in the place of power and authority. And what is he doing there? We see that Jesus is superior to the angels because Jesus is the righteous judge. That's what he's doing on the throne. His scepter, it says, is one of authority, used for justice. His scepter is for justice. For, what does that mean? It means for truly carrying out what is right and wrong. That's why he loves righteousness and he hates lawlessness. And he's currently doing that, by the way. He is currently on the throne in heaven. Jesus is on the throne in heaven judging the world. Loving righteousness, hating lawlessness, hating injustice, and someday soon, we know he is coming back to deliver his verdict. So now we move to verses 10 through 12, and it shows us that while angels are just creations, created beings, servants, Jesus, we see, is the eternal creator. Jesus is eternal, and he is the creator. And by the way, since he is the creator, that is why he has the right to be the judge. He made it. It's his. He gets to do with it what he wants. Good thing it says that he is a just, he's a God of justice. He is a just God, and he loves what's right, and he hates lawlessness. In light of this statement, by the way, that Jesus is eternal, and I got this question asked last week, and I understand it probably came up in a lot of your community groups during this week Jesus is eternal with no beginning, no end. Verse 4 and 5 can feel a little tricky. What does it mean when it says Jesus became something? He became superior to the angels, and he became the Son. Wasn't he always superior? Wasn't he always the son? We believe, Christians believe, that Jesus the son was always, from eternity past, and always will be into eternity future, God the son. So what does it mean that he became the son? Well, let's just, I'll just say it simply, this passage is not referring to Jesus coming into existence or transforming from one thing to another. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What it's talking about instead is that Jesus is being revealed as something that he already was, something that he already is. When he accomplished that thing that was always planned for him to do, save the world through his work on the cross, he was revealed as these things. And Ephesians 1.20 puts it this way. I'll put the, the passage up here. Ephesians puts it this way. God exercised great power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in heaven, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. So what we're seeing here is the preacher of Hebrews commenting on the fact that when Jesus finished his work of redemption, It was revealed to all creation, to all humanity, and to all heavenly beings, who Jesus already was, God the Son, the Creator, the King of the universe, the Righteous One, the Savior of the world. One more tricky phrase here in this passage is that it calls Jesus the firstborn, So that some have come come to say Jesus is not eternal. He came into existence at some point. That's why it says firstborn here. And I'll just say that that's not the case because we know elsewhere that Jesus always was. He was not born at some point. And this is not, by the way, referring to uh, the incarnation or his being born to the Virgin Mary, but rather what it's referring to is the fact that in Uh, what's What's the word? In the economic, political system of the day, the firstborn was the inheritor of the family fortune, of the family name, of everything, of the power, of the authority of the father. And this is how, this is what it's talking about. It's using a political phrase here. He became the firstborn. It's speaking again from that that Ephesians 2 passage, Jesus being exalted to the throne after his resurrection and given all power and all authority. So these two phrases, becoming and firstborn, they refer to the glory and honor that God the Son receives when we see that he has accomplished his work. We give him glory. So what does the preacher say to do now? Now that we know all of this stuff, What does the preacher say to do with these magnificent truths about who Jesus is, that he is God, he's the king, he's the judge, he's the creator? What does the preacher of Hebrews say we're supposed to do with this information? Well, he tells us in chapter two not to get distracted by angels or anything else, people claiming to be prophets, he said in chapter one, that used to happen. God used to speak through prophets. God used to deliver messages by angels. But now in these last days, he has spoken with finality through his son. So what does the preacher say to do with all this wonderful information from chapter one? He says, don't get distracted by the angels or by anything else, but pay attention to Jesus's finished work. Let's read it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. So for this reason, for this what reason? For all the things that he just got done talking about in chapter 1, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard. And what he's referring to there? The message of the gospel. We must pay all the more attention to what we've heard so we will not drift away, will not be led astray by angels, will not be led astray by false prophets or false teachers. Verse 2. For if the message spoken through the angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how are we going to escape now that we have something so much better? Is the point here. How will we escape if we neglect this great salvation? Such a great salvation. This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord Jesus. And it was confirmed to us by those who heard him speak. There were eyewitnesses. And we have heard from them. That gives you a little clue as to who the author of Hebrews is not. A little trivia. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders and various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. He has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. So he's saying... Angels aren't the one getting the glory. Angels aren't the one that got the authority. Angels aren't the one who delivered the good news. Angels aren't the one who performed all of these glorious miracles that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. Jesus is. So pay all the more attention to him. Don't worry about all these people saying, oh, an angel brought me a message, or a prophet saying, I have a word from the Lord. Pay all the more attention to Jesus. The preacher's saying, pay attention. I have good news for you. It's all true. You've heard about the miracles Jesus performed. You have now seen the church in action for a little while. The people, these ordinary people, using God-given gifts to love and care for each other. Isn't that an amazing thing he's saying? Pay attention to that. Don't get distracted by all of these false messages. Don't be afraid of those who are opposing it. And I'd just like to close by reminding you of this good news that in chapter two, verse one, he says, pay all the more attention to the message that we've heard. What is that message? I think he delivers it very simply in Hebrews one, verse three. He says, the son, Jesus, son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word and after he made purifications for sin he is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high the preacher of Hebrews is saying if you want to know who God is do any of you here this morning want to know who God is do you want to know God wouldn't that be cool to know God, to know who he is, to know what he's like, to know what he wants from you? The preacher says, you want to know God? Look at Jesus. He is the exact picture of who God is. The preacher says, if you are afraid in a world that seems to have Spun out of control. Anyone feeling like that this week? Rumblings at the border. The federal government rattling its saber at the states. The states rattling their sabers back. It's a lot of fun, by the way. But isn't it a little crazy? This time of year in America, once every four years, the world starts to end again. And if we don't vote for the right person, everything's going to explode. I think a lot of us in this room may actually be a little nervous about exploding governments. It's got my attention. Are you afraid? It's okay, by the way. But here's what he says to do, the preacher of Hebrews. He says, look to Jesus who is seated on the throne. He's got it all in his hands. He has a scepter that means authority, and it is a scepter of justice. He's on the throne, in control. You want to know God? Look to Jesus. Are you afraid of the world spinning out of control? Look to Jesus. Second, is there anyone here this morning that wants to have their sins forgiven? Do you come this morning with a heavy soul knowing you are a guilty sinner? What does the preacher say to do? Look to Jesus. He paid for all of them. He made purification for sins. Your sins can be paid for through faith in Christ. And having done all that, Having shown us exactly who God is, having created the universe in the first place, having sustained it and and continuing to sustain it. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He upholds the everything with his word. Everything that exists and happens only exists and happens because Jesus is currently saying it should. He created the universe he sustains it by his powerful word he revealed to us who God is and he is currently sitting in the highest place of authority in the universe and having done all that he sees you and he knows you and he cares for you and he is able to help you turn to him Let's pray. <clears> o <throat> oh Lord, who is like you? Powerful and mighty, a mighty fortress to save. Lord, we stand in awe this morning of your power, your glory, your authority, and your love, and your goodness, and your mercy. How wonderful it is that the most powerful being in the universe, the one who made it all, and who sustains it all, and who is over it all, is a good God. God. Is a righteous God who brings justice. Lord, help us to turn to you in our fear. Help us to turn to you in our shame. Help us to turn to you in our doubt. Help us to trust you, our Savior, our Defender. Amen.